Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. What's going on in Ukraine? Well, a lot, an awful lot is going on. We talked the other day about uh, the battle for a little a coal mining town uh, and salt mining town called Solidar. Uh, and the back and forth between Putin and, and the other elements that are going on in the Kremlin right now. And Canada's involvement in this, uh, because there's always been some criticism, and I think some of it's very justified, uh, that Canada was a little slow off the mark. Now, to that end, uh, the announcement was made, of course, at the Three Amigos Summit, that Canada is actually going to pay uh, for a missile defense system, uh, not unlike, I guess it's almost an identical one to the one the United States is going to be giving them to. Uh, defense Minister Anita Anand says this is how the Ukrainians will probably use that system. This donation will help Ukraine strengthen its air defense systems against Russia's brutal air attacks. And we're seeing those on population centers, civilian critical infrastructure, military sites. Uh, so this is incredibly appreciated by Ukraine, by President Zelensky. And the donation is valued at approximately $406 million. Uh, and that's that's good news. But the the ongoing concern here in some circles, of course, is Canada's contribution, uh, what they're doing and how they're doing it, and, and maybe to a certain extent what they're not doing, too. To talk about this, please to welcome back to the program Michael Bosicu, who is, a, a of course, a senior fellow with the Atlantic Council on Global Affairs Analyst. Uh, Michael, a pleasure to have you back with the show. Thanks so much for the time today. Good to be with you and Happy New Year. And to you, too. Uh, the criticism started just after the invasion started last February, really, about the Canadian participation and the Canadian reaction to it. Uh, and, and I guess maybe in general terms, it's it's fair to say, I think, that we were a little slow off the mark in jumping up to help uh, the, the, the situation in Ukraine. Yeah, I think what happened there was the Trudeau government uh, was very fixated on sanctions, saying that it's a very sharp tool to put the Russians in their place and to prevent them from uh, more aggression and so on. Well, obviously that hasn't worked and they're not working very well to this day. But I think what happened over time is they woke up, there was probably pressure from the US and other allies to step up Canada's contribution and then uh, pivot to lethal weaponry. So that's that's what's been happening. And as you uh, referenced the um, uh, NASAMS, the US made surface to air missile defense system that Canada is buying uh, probably under a bit of uh, uh, pressuring or arm twisting from the United States is a big, big step. And indeed, um, for example, where I am in Odessa, uh, air defense systems are crucial, right? Because we've mm -hmm. gone through so many weeks now of power outages, of uh, cutting off of heating and water, that uh, the if Ukraine has the ability to fully protect its skies. Cities like Odessa uh, will be able to live with a bit more normalcy. Uh, interesting op-ed piece that uh, was published in the Globe and Mail with uh, your input mm -hmm. and some of the elements about what's going on now. And and I, I think, as you mentioned in the piece, Michael, I don't think there's any expectation that, okay, uh, we can offer the same sort of military support that the, a, a country like the United States can. Uh, but as you mentioned in the piece, there are some things that we can be doing right now that uh, that would actually help the Ukraine situation quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I know from um, colleagues who have recently returned to from the front lines, for example, Bakhmut, uh, they spoke to soldiers there and the soldiers are still complaining of using Soviet era type of weapons. Uh, there's a great, great need for ammunition. So definitely these are things that um, Canada can provide. But there are also um, other things, too. For example, the targeting of that infrastructure has um, uh, led to 
quite serious damage sorry Ukrainian power plants so they need things that Canada can provide for example transformers and circuit breakers uh President Zelensky has even asked for millions of energy efficient light bulbs to help the country get through this winter and through this war so those are immediate things and then I kind of you know more on the symbolic uh diplomatic front um Canada is uh, one of the few countries who hasn't expelled any Russian diplomats. The Europeans have expelled over 200 for engaging in nefarious activities. And, you know, you just have to go to the Russian embassy's Twitter account and see the kind of misinformation or disinformation they're circulating. And that should be grounds for Ottawa to to expel at least some. And uh, it's something I think the Ukrainian community has been calling for as well. That's kind of one of the subplots of what's happened over the last uh, nine or ten months, though, isn't it? Really, Michael, the the back and forth between Russia and and the Canadian government here, uh, and I guess the turbine situation, uh, it maybe it best exemplifies that. You know, with the the pressure from Germany to to send that turbine back, and and Putin's reaction to that, etc. Uh, and as you mentioned in the piece, the 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 greater concern, I guess, from, well, as a lot of people were watching that unfold. Uh, was that that showed a crack in the, in this, as you said, that unifying uh, sanctions set, you know, okay, we're going to do this. Well, we backed off of that and, and basically caved into it to what Germany wanted. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that uh, President Zelensky wasn't very thrilled with that. Yeah. And, you know, there's a principle involved here, right, is that we... Uh, Canada, you know, introduced quite harsh uh, sanctions, was very proud of them. But then uh, once some pressure came from Germany, they basically circumvented their own sanctions and agreed to send the generators back. And then, as you pointed out, rightfully, what Putin did is they rejected them uh, on the grounds of poor paperwork or something like that. But um, I think, you know, and sorry, and at the time, you know, Foreign Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie uh, said that the government was, was calling Putin's bluff by returning the turbines, but in fact, the government was a hoodwink. So I think um, re- really we have to stick to our, to our principles when it comes to sanctions. And, um, you know, there are other uh, things as well uh, that has surprised not only myself, but the Ukrainian community, for example, uh, its treatment of Ukrainian national staff here in Ukraine when our diplomats... Uh, no, they didn't really leave. They fled Ukraine compared to some other countries. Um, they left not only left behind uh, national staff here, but they failed to tell them that they had intelligence saying that the Russians might target them. That may seem like a small thing, but in the bigger picture, when it comes to Canada having to recruit national staff here for its diplomatic operations, it may be more tougher because Ukrainians may say, well, I'm not going to work go work for a country which treats its uh, you know, staff that way. So that was a very important um, uh, development, I thought, to point out as well. And, and it seems as if we were not prepared for this and didn't really have a strategy going forward. And I guess when you're kind of, you know, flying by the seat of your pants, uh, I guess mistakes are going to be made. But as as you talked about in the piece uh, in the Globe and Mail, uh, you know, there are some things that we can do. And, and I, I think, as you mentioned just a second ago, one of the key elements to this is, as you say, is infrastructure. You know, maybe we can't. Well, I guess you, you mentioned about decommissioned armored vehicles that we could send over there. Yeah. Uh, and that's one thing. But infrastructure is the key element right now. It's cold. It's wintry out there. Uh, they, they're having extreme problems, of course, because of the missile attacks that are going on there. And and that's something we can do, I think, on rather short notice, is, is help them with uh, the reconstruction of some of this infrastructure. 
Sure. And it's not only, you know, the hardware, but I think it's the software aspect that Canada is so good at, even within the Ukrainian community. You know, there are so many experts in, um, you know, power infrastructure, telecommunications. The rebuilding effort here is going to be absolutely massive. The bill is going to be very big. So um, I think Canada and allies should be thinking about that already as well as how to, in advance of uh, the needs assessment, uh, to to help Ukraine. And then um, again, it's it's that real the really. Um, uh, the kind of weaponry that Ukraine is asking for, not only air defense, but think air defense, but rather things like uh, tanks, uh, armored vehicles. To Canada's credit, uh, Ottawa has given uh, winter clothing for the military. That was mm-hmm. really needed. Um, so, you know, it is, I, I think, it, to be fair to the government, they are coming around, it seems, stepping up to the plate because a couple of things here. Number one is that an attack against Ukraine should be seen now as an attack against the West, against NATO. The war is no longer limited uh, to Ukraine itself. Uh, Missiles have overflown Moldova. uh, Rocket fragments have landed in Poland. And Putin has also weaponized uh, energy, uh, food, and uh, migration. And one more quick thing, if I can. um, Sure. A Russian uh, media investigation outlet, they um, recently revealed that the sons and daughters of sanctioned Russian officials are actually traveling to EU and NATO member countries, holidaying, posting their vacations on uh, Instagram and places like that. That shouldn't be happening because my argument has always been, if we are going to um, sanction them in a very kind of uh, uh, severe way, the kind of news has to be tightened to include everybody, absolutely everybody in that elite circle around Mr. Putin, the sycophants and everyone around him. And, um, that will send a strong message as well. Michael, is this a, a, a kind of a, a warning sign for us too, that maybe we need to be better prepared and and, and, and ready for action in situations like this? So, you know, we, yeah. we, as you say, we're starting to come along. Uh, but, you know, to, to go back to the turbine situation, remember the German chancellor, of course, came over here and basically mm-hmm. said, okay, look, at, we, we need energy, we need fuel. Uh, and there was yeah. the discussion about liquid natural, natural gas. And the prime minister basically yeah. said, well, we're not going to do that. Uh, matter of fact, the Chinese or the uh, Japanese prime minister made the same request just a couple of days ago when he was in Ottawa. So uh, we've got it, uh, but we don't have the, the capability to refine it and send it over there. The world needs a lot of what Canada has right now. And uh, is, is this a calling that we have to step up here and, and be ready for these sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. And I think we all recognize that this kind of change or the uh, pivot to, um, you know, natural gas and exporting it and so on is not going to happen overnight. There's a very big infrastructure involved to, for example, ship LNG to Europe. But um, those things are happening. And uh, look, I just moderated a panel uh, last uh, week in London. And there we I think everyone, the experts and journalists recognize that for at least the short term, some of the climate pledges that were made at COP and elsewhere will need to be kind of parked to the side because there is um, a short of, en- of energy, a lot of it caused by Mr. Putin's accent, uh, um, Mr. Putin's uh, antics. And for example, in the UK, they're now talking about, for example, uh, firing up coal-fired plants that, that have been decommissioned in order to make up the deficit. The other thing I, I'd like to make, the other point I'd like to make is that um, the government should also recognize that public opinion polling in Canada is very strong for support of Ukraine, even if it means adding to the deficit. So 
I think it has the public support to take some bold moves, but um, it has to happen fairly quickly because I fear, as well as a lot of others do here, is that come February or so, we're going to be around the first anniversary of the invasion that Russia will gear up for another big, massive invasion. And that's pretty much what the Ukrainian officials are saying, too. And then as per our stand in this and what we can contribute. And I guess, you know, it's all tied together when you look at some of the political uh, avenues that we have taken, but also some of the political promises that we've made. You know, the Prime Minister and uh, Deputy Prime Minister Freeland have been talking for the last couple of months about, uh, as you say, trying to wean ourselves away from from China, certainly, and and Russian fuel in Europe. Uh, But the first question, of course, all the other world leaders are saying, okay, we'll we'll play ball like that, but where are we going to get our stuff from? Well, Canada's the answer for that, or at least part of it, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I've been traveling through Europe a fair bit recently. And, um, you know, the sense you get there is that folks are prepared to bite the bullet a bit for a kind of wartime economy. Um, so, you know, there is a kind of feeling of shared responsibility that this is really, really important to stand up to Mr. Putin. And one way to do that is to show that we're not going to be you know, uh, we're not going to collapse because of his antics in terms of weaponizing energy or cutting it off. So um, that unity is there. Um, a lot of us did not expect it to last this long, but it, it continues because, you know, it isn't only Mr. Putin that we're talking about. There are other authoritarian leaders like uh, Mr. Xi in China, mm-hmm. uh, some in <laughs> perhaps Central South America, uh, Ira- the Iranian mullahs. Um, they need to see that the West will not tolerate this type of aggression, these types of antics where our food, our energy, ordinary people who have to become migrants and flee for a safe asylum are being manipulated by the Kremlin. So for all of those reasons, very, very important to make sure that we're prepared, as you say, to to, for these types of uh, uh, very serious events. Well, it seems as if uh, there's been a change in direction or a ramping up, I guess, of commitment uh, from the government. And that's that's the good mm-hmm. news. And we're nowhere near where we should be, but uh, we're going in the right direction. And uh, well, that's something we're going to have to hang on to. Michael, thank you so much for this. Great to have you back in the program. Always uh, interesting with uh, your perspective on things. Stay well, and we'll talk again soon, I hope. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Michael Barsicu from uh, Senior Fellow with the Atlantic Council on Global Affairs, speaking to us uh, from Europe. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.